Fearscape Media Network. Exploring the unknown, one podcast at a time. Good evening, dear friends. I am your headmister, Stefan Gearhart. And I am your co-mister, the man with no name, Lance Wayne. And we are the Misters of the Dark. Join us as we discuss everything from horror books, films, and even pretty princesses. (laughs) Join us every other Tuesday in our dilapidated mansion. You never know what's going to happen next. Only on the Fearscape Media Network. (laughs) That's a good laugh. Ghosts in the Attic's Bodies in the Basements may contain graphic, violent, vulgar, or explicit content not suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Ghosts in the Attics, Bodies in the Basement. It's Lindsay here. We are officially halfway through September, so if you aren't already in Halloween mode, I'm here to change that for you. Uh, We have four episodes, including this one, before Halloween, so I decided that we are going to put, like, all the regular episodes, like Fucked Up and Frightful and Book Club and stuff like that, on the back burner for a bit and start a new mini-series, Halloween Classics. Each episode will be a deep dive into, like, a classic Um, quote-unquote monster or like image associated with Halloween. This particular episode will be vampires. And yes, I did cover the vampires of New Orleans in the past, and you can go listen to that. It's the episode called Eileen Warnos and slash vampires of New Orleans. But this is going to be a little bit different than that. So don't think I'm just getting repetitive here. Because in that episode, I talked specifically about the culture of vampires in New Orleans, including real life people who live there and consider themselves vampires and whatnot you can go listen to that it has lots of good resources on there so um but yeah i know it's a little bit weird for it to be just me but lucky for you all vampires were a hyper fixation growing up and i can go on forever about them and i have coffee here with me i'm ready to go so i had mentioned in the new orleans episode that i've always been a vampire person you know like people ask you vampire versus werewolf or what have you like vampires all the way i can't i can't reiterate that enough that's been me any of you with the vampire queen of the damned underworld and like can we talk about kate beckinsale in those movies like goals i have always wanted a badass black leather outfit so i can go kick ass like she does in those movies But uh, True Blood, Vampire Diaries, and yes, even Twilight, I've loved them all. But let me specify, I don't know if I ever have on the show, I probably have a million times. Twilight Books, which I know even then is 
they've got their own set of red flags, right? But I, I, I can never get into the movies. With the Twilight Renaissance, I've considered giving them another shot because some of my favorite TikTokers talk about Twilight all the time. But anyways, I digress. Um, okay, but like what started vampire lore? We often think about like Vlad the Impaler, who was the inspiration for Dracula, as we know, right? But stories of creatures that fit the description of vampires date back to ancient times. Even the story of Lilith, yes, as in Adam's first wife, Lilith, is that she stole children and consumed them. So she's considered like a vampire type creature. The website, which I'm getting a lot of information for today's episode from this website, it's called vampirefacts.net. They go into a little bit of like the origins and history of vampires and so really almost every civilization had at least one creature that fit the description, but the term vampire itself did not come around until the 19th century. Before that, vampiric traits that define modern day vampires were attributed to a variety of creatures, such as ghosts, evil spirits, ghouls, demons, the devil, and even deities. For example, ancient Babylon and Assyria talk about Lilith, like I said before. India had stories about the Talas ghouls, and I apologize if I said that incorrectly. Uh, they lived in corpses of dead people and animated them, so um, kind of a little bit zombie-like, but also vampire-like. A lot of it really overlaps, I feel. And uh, Persian cultures left behind many written accounts and pottery pictures which described demonic creatures that feasted on human blood. In Europe, myths of blood-sucking demons were found in the tales of Greek and Romans being and Roman beings of Impuse, who's a Greek demigoddess. I am so sorry. And Lamia, beautiful queen of Libya, who became a child-eating demon, whose traits eventually melded into their medieval supernatural counterparts of witches and demons. And then during the troubling times of European Middle Ages, diseases, plagues, wars, famines, and other disasters gave birth to the wide variety of folklore tales and dangerous mystical creatures that feasted on humans. We've talked about that before, um, especially, like, I think in the Irish folklore episode, which is our very first episode, you know, we, we get into um, a lot of times these creatures, such as, and referring to that episode, changelings, is just an explanation for something else going on. And so there was a bunch of things going on, like plagues and wars and famines and stuff, and vampires are one of many things that came out of that to create an explanation for something that just simply did not make sense especially back then when science was not what it is today so yeah that that gets us a little bit into the background of vampires it goes way farther back than just dracula right and i definitely uh, recommend you guys look into these sources because it goes into a lot more in depth than I can in here because I have a lot of things I want to cover on this episode and I don't want to just read this entire website. Definitely go check that out. But regardless of the history, we all have this certain idea of vampires because of literature and pop culture, right? But if you think about all the movies that I listed before, movies, TV shows, books, whatever, like True Blood, Anne Rice vampires versus Stephanie Myers versus um, I lost the author's name of True Blood, but you get what I'm saying. Like they're all different. Um, for example, 
as we all know with twilight their skin sparkles and they, they don't have fangs their teeth are just really like razor sharp and covered in venom and but it's not only in literature and movies that it's like that it actually there's actually multiple types of vampires and it's not just well do they sparkle or are they terrifying rotting creatures or like nosferatu or something and i swear i got the idea for this episode other than me loving vampire stuff vampire stories uh i had originally found a tiktok that did a great explanation about the different types of vampires and i wanted so badly to shout them out and talk about that on here and put like the link in the show notes and all of that i knew a lot of them but i didn't know all of them and it, it was just a really great breakdown but i for the life of me cannot find it i cannot remember who posted it i thought i knew who it was i checked a couple different accounts and none of them were it so my apologies that that is lost to the great abyss but shout out to whoever you are out there because you inspired me to do this episode and uh so instead i will be getting into the different types of vampires as stated on vampirefacts.net so first we have the sanguine vampires which is the blood drinking like that's what we always think of right and uh, it says they must regularly drink fresh human or animal blood to sustain their undead existence. They cannot be satisfied with blood from a dead animal and by some beliefs can be harmed if the blood is infused with the strong force of religion, love, or if human consumed large quantities of garlic before the vampire got to him, which I'll get into the garlic stuff later. This type of vampire is the most commonly known and they can be found in cultures and myths all around the world from ancient Babylon and Greece to Asia and back to Balkans, where the modern myth of blood-sucking vampires originated. According to many myths, one single feeding of blood can provide a vampire with sustenance for two weeks. Now I kind of want to go back and reread and rewatch all the vampire things and see if they ever mentioned two weeks. Hmm. Moving on. Psy vampires. That's P-S-I, so I'm assuming Psy, but moving on. This type of vampires does not physically harm their victims or willing donors, but they extract life force, which enables them to continue living. The psionic ability can work both with single victims and by extracting the life force from crowds of people. Most often, victims cannot notice that the vampire is feeding on them, and effects of such feeding can be short and long-term fatigue, but they very rarely lead to death. On a similar note, we go into, this is emphatic vampire. I think it may mean empathic just based off the descriptions so i'm gonna say empathic my apologies if it is emphatic somebody can correct me um but the em empathic or elemental vampire is a type of vampire that can feed from the emotion of people around them most often positive energy such as happiness and love but also from negative energy such as anger and fear vampires that feed from such dark emotions are often responsible for causing them such as by scaring the victim but the rest of the empathic vampires simply feed from the current, currently present emotions that are present around them. Elemental vampires are very similar, but they feed off of like natural elements like wind and lightning. Just a side note, because I feel psi and empathic would go hand in hand, kind of. Even like they're technically feeding off of different things, because one's just life force and one's the emotions. But I feel that like regular people 
are capable of being this type of vampire, even if they aren't aware of it. Because I, I feel like we've all met somebody who you would call what I personally call an energy vampire. And it's just, they are draining to be around. Like there's, they're the people that you can be having the time of your life. And they're going to point out every little bit of negative thing. Like they cannot allow you to be happy. And sometimes it's like that where they're pointing out each negative things. And other times it's just something about them is like that dark cloud hanging over their head. And it just sucks the life force out of you. And the best example I can give without getting into people I've personally known in the past is my and my sister's joke about Connor Oberst. Please note, we love Connor Oberst very, 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 very much. So much so that I just quoted him in saying that. But we've had this long running joke that he's actually a vampire. And I honestly don't remember what started it. But a lot of it, I but I think... I think it had to do with like he he's looked the same for years and years and years like he's always looked exactly the same and so I just kind of became this joke that he's a vampire and we would like find evidence in his lyrics like oh see he's definitely saying he's a vampire but a few years back Phoebe Bridgers commented on a picture that Bright Eyes had posted and her comment was like vampires on their way to their gender studies class or something and we were like oh my god she confirmed it like it's official now and then taking it a step farther Phoebe Rogers' album came out Punisher amazing album by the way and in the song Savior Complex she says baby you're a vampire so we joked that, that meant the song had to have been about Connor and she was once again confirming but between hearing that album and then listening to Bright Eyes' album that came out that same year Down in the Weeds Where the World Once Was and something about when I was listening to those, I could not tell you what exactly it was, but something just clicked in my mind that maybe Connor Oberst is an energy vampire. So not just like a vampire because he's never aging and Phoebe Bridgers is saying and all that. What if he's an energy vampire? Because if you listen to his music, he's pretty often pretty self-deprecating and he's always talking about how he's a really shitty person. And so it's like, okay... What if he is kind of like, no offense, Connor, love you. But what if he is? What if what that mean? like, what if all of the times of him saying that and then Phoebe Bridgers' songs that you can kind of like read them between the lines and assume it could possibly be about him. I don't know who her songs are about. This is all just speculation on my part. I think it, I think it really makes sense there. But um, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Y'all can let me know if you have the same beliefs about Connor Oberst. But just a disclaimer, this is not an accusation or any statement of fact. It is just my interpretation on a musician I love mixed with an inside joke with my sisters. So if Connor, you ever somehow listen to this show, please know that this all comes from a place of love. But anyways, more types of vampires. <laughs> there are also sexual vampires which is like when you get into the succubus and incubus which i did not know just a side note speaking of music when i was younger i did not know what an incubus was i just knew the band incubus and so when i found out what that was i was like oh my god but that's just that's neither here nor there nobody cares about that 
Anyway, sexual vampires sustain their lives by absorbing the sexual life force from energies of their willing partners, especially during a moment of orgasm. They do their feeding either physically or by consuming bodily fluids. And the most famous mythical example, like I said, is the succubus, which is female, or the incubus, which is male. Then there are soul vampires, and they feed off of the soul energy of their victim, usually shortening their lifespan visibly. Or sometimes calling them from excessive feeding. And I personally cannot think of a single example of that, like, pop culture-wise. I'm just trying to think, and I can't think of anything that's like that. There is genetic vampires that are scientifically created, or children of vampires and man. So, like, half and half. But then, um, so it'll possess some... Of the powers, but not all. Which I think the word for that is a dampier. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. But that's when they're like half. Moving on. The insane Machiavellian vampires. I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly. Are willful and sometimes unwanted conversions of humans into vampires. And it induces a mental illness and creates insane vampires that cannot be easily controlled. There's disfigured vampires, such as Nosferatu, that have prolonged life as a vampire or a bad case of conversion into undead life, and it causes disfiguration and rutting of the flesh. And then just literary and movie vampires, vampires that are made up with their own set of rules, like the Twilight vampires, for example. And they're just uh, make-believe. But I guess you could argue that they are all make-believe. But anyways, those are the different types of vampires. Um, I am very interested to know if there's more. But like I said before, I feel like some of these types of vampires can just be regular people who do certain things. Like the energy vampires. But regardless of the vampire types, there's obviously a lot of myths that surround them. And while you can read more about this, like I said, on vampirefacts.net, where I'm getting my information... These are the ones I wanted to talk on because they were the most interesting to me because I feel they're the most stereotypical. First, apparently the reality behind the myths of a vampire's aversion to sunlight and garlic are actually due to a rare disease called porphyria, which is a skin and neurological disorder often caused by inbreeding, which was a lot more common back in medieval Europe. And it could cause skin blisters, pigment changes, inability for the skin to heal, deterioration of the lips and nose, and extreme photosensitivity, so hence the aversion to sunlight, receding gums and lips, and irregular hair growth, which could have led to lycanthropy myths. Like, 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 lycanthropy? Werewolves. Werewolf myths. But that would be for a werewolf episode, so we'll move on. Um, and garlic comes into play because apparently garlic contains chemicals that can exacerbate the symptoms of porphyria. So even the idea that vampires can't see themselves in a mirror point back to potentially to porphyria because a lot of times people who are dealing with this disease avoided looking in the mirrors because of how ghastly they looked. And then, of course, there's myths that relate to just a general lack of medical knowledge or scientific knowledge at all. And that is things such as the idea that vampires sleep in coffins. When in reality, 
who they were claiming is sleeping in a coffin is just a dead body in the right conditions being in the uh, climate of a coffin just could kind of uh, put off decomposition and it, like they would have like color to their hands or cheeks or something and they were like oh well clearly they're getting up and drinking blood when really they were just in the right conditions to not be decomposing the way that they would expect and the same goes for even the myth of having to stake a vampire's heart which always makes me think of the song by my, my chemical romance put the stake in my heart i'm sorry anyways they would put stakes through corpses hearts and if you don't know this dead bodies fill up with gases and if you move bodies in certain ways it releases those gases and it it's a groan or a moan kind of like a zombie sound there's a name for it and i can't think of what it is right now but basically these people were staking these corpses and the corpses are making these horrible sounds and they're like see they were clearly a monster which i can't even fault them for that because i couldn't imagine even knowing that bodies can make those noises after death i couldn't imagine not knowing that and it happening that would just be so terrifying so i could absolutely see why they would think it was a vampire or a zombie or some other undead Ugh. and then of course other myths pertain to religion and the church because of course they do they always do right and it all boils down to mostly that they saw vampires as being unholy, doing unholy things to get their energy, like drinking blood. And in the original myth of Dracula, he was cursed by God for twisting his faith and slaughtering thousands in God's name. Therefore, you can use God against him. And so like things like crosses and other um, religious icons are weaknesses to these vampires. One myth that I don't see listed on this particular website, but I just know from my own knowledge, is that vampires must be invited inside. And in fact, one of my favorite TikTokers, Piper CJ, she's a folklorist. Um, I, can't, I think we've mentioned her on here before. Probably have. But she has a pinned video on her profile talking about protecting yourself from vampires. And her tip is literally like, what does your welcome mat say? Does your, does your welcome mat say, welcome, come on in, anything like that? Because vampires and other folklore creatures have a lot of rules a lot of times but they also have loopholes to those rules right and so if your welcome mat says welcome come on in whatever it's inviting them like they could claim oh well you said come on in so i came on in i also think burglars use that sometimes so just all around maybe don't have a welcome mat i was actually when i was walking my dog earlier today I saw somebody have one of those uh, wooden signs, like where it's like a plank of wood, and he usually says like "welcome" or "hello" or whatever. Uh, I saw one that's like "go away," and I, I want that. Anyways, but this whole idea of the vampires needing to be invited in and the loophole of like, oh well, clearly I was invited in because of this welcome mat or whatever. It makes me think of a true crime story that has stuck with me for years ever since the very first time i heard about it which was probably on my favorite murder like it terrifies me to this day and i always bring it up whenever um because our door our front door locks on a timer and if i ever like automatically lock it before the timer can do it my husband's always like why are you in such a rush to lock the door like i was 
walking out and coming right back in or whatever. And I'm like, because of this guy. And that guy is the vampire of Sacramento. The vampire Sacramento was actually named Richard Chase. And he killed six people over the course of a month at the end of 1977 and the start of 1978. He was given the name the vampire of Sacramento because he would drink his victim's blood and cannibalize their remains. Side note, though, before I go more into this horrible, horrific story, we gotta stop giving killers cool names. They don't deserve the notoriety. I digress. So Richard Chase had a childhood that showed a lot of the warning signs for psychopathy, such as harming small animals, things like that. And he was also extremely fixated on blood. At one point, he injected rabbit's blood into his veins, and so he was involuntarily institutionalized and... The doctors and nurses there nicknamed him Dracula, which, like, mm, kind of rude. But he was so fixated on blood, that's why they uh, did that. While he was institutionalized, he managed to break the necks of two birds that he caught through the window and drink their blood. And he would also spill syringes and draw blood from the therapy dogs to consume. He was ultimately diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, and eventually, after he was, um, on the proper medications and stuff like that, he was deemed no longer a threat to society and was released in the custody or in the care of his mother in 1976. His mother weaned him off of his medication, which we all know sometimes people need medication. There is nothing wrong if you need medication. People dealing with paranoid schizophrenia usually require medication. And so at the end of 1977, he started his murder spree and just a warning before we get into this if you are unfamiliar with this case it does get pretty graphic it starts out i mean it's all death is awful right like all murder is awful but um just a warning as we get into these deaths um so his first known victim was ambrose griffin who was a 51 year old engineer and the father of two he was killed via drive-by shooting on december 29th 1977 Two weeks later, Richard Chase attempted to enter a woman's home, but ultimately left because her door was locked. He later told police that he took that as a sign that he was unwelcome. But if the door was unlocked, he meant he, it meant he was welcome. And that, that right there, that right there is why that has always haunted me. Lock your damn doors, y'all. Because you never know when a serial killer is going to be walking down your neighborhood and stare at you through the window, but not come in because your door is locked. Ugh. Gives me chills. I hate it. Um, so then on January 23rd, 1978, Chase broke into a house and shot Teresa Wallen, who was three months pregnant at the time. He then um, had sexual intercourse with her corpse while stabbing her with a butcher's knife. He then removed multiple organs, cut off one of her nipples, and drank her blood. He stuffed dog feces from the yard down her throat before leaving. That is just incredibly awful. On January 27th, Chase entered the home of 38-year-old Evelyn Miroff. He encountered her friend, Danny Meredith, whom he shot with his 22 handgun. He then fatally shot Miroff, her 6-year-old son, Jason, and her 22-month-old nephew, David Fer Ferreria. Before mutilating Miroff and engaging in necrophilia and cannibalism with her corpse. A visitor's knock on the door startled Chase, who then fled to Meredith's car, taking Furia's body with him. 
The visitor alerted a neighbor who called the police, and they discovered that Chase had left complete handprints and shoe prints in Miroth's blood. Chase was arrested shortly afterwards, and police who searched Chase's apartment found that the walls, floor, ceiling, refrigerator, and all of Chase's eating and drinking utensils were soaked in blood. In 1979, Chase went to trial for six counts of murder. His defense tried to get the charges lowered to second-degree murder due to his mental illnesses, but ultimately he was found guilty for six counts of first-degree murder and was sentenced to death. He ultimately committed suicide in his cell in 1980. And that, it all happened so fast. And so, like, when you hear, like, oh, he only killed six people or something like that, like, it doesn't sound that big, but, like, it's... It was so awful, and it's also awful that it was because he had a mental illness that was treatable and was being treated. And then between whatever the story was with his mom weaning him off his medication, and I had also read that he was heavily on a lot of different hard drugs, because all of that mixed together is just such a recipe for disaster, and it's tragic that all of these people had to die because of it. Absolutely awful. Um, But... Moving on, like now to wrap up our vampire episode, I'm going to talk about a vampire that you may have seen in current events. Archaeologists just discovered a skeleton of a female vampire buried with a sickle across her neck and a padlock on her foot in a cemetery in Poland. That was uh, the excavation was in late August. The leader of the excavation, Professor Polinski, I'm sorry, I can't pronounce that first name and I don't want to butcher it. So Professor Polinski, the leader of the excavation, said that the items were placed there to prevent her from returning from the dead. And it's quoted, The sickle was not laid flat, but placed on the neck in such a way that if the deceased had tried to get up, most likely the head would have been cut off or injured. He also explained the padlock, saying it symbolized the closing of a stage and the impossibility of returning. Researchers noted, however, that the woman was also wearing a silk cap woven with silver or gold thread, indicating that she was of high social status. So, quote, she was neither ritually murdered nor was she one of the convicted in a witchcraft trial. Those individuals were treated in a different way, and usually they were thrown into provisional graves. Polinsky told Newsweek, It is possible that in her lifetime the woman experienced a tragedy and was harmed. On the other hand, her appearance or behavior might have provoked the contemporary residents to be afraid of her. But this may only be, be proved by more research on the skeleton, and researchers plan to conduct DNA testing on the remains to learn more about the woman. The link to the whole article that I was just reading from is in the show notes. I personally cannot wait to hear more about this woman because like the professor said, and I'm no expert like this professor is, like it wasn't, the body was not treated the way most people like witch trials and, and stuff like that are going to be treated. So it's like, what is the story here? What is the story to put a padlock on her foot and a sickle over her throat? Ah, I need to know. I need to know more. If anybody has more information about that, send it my way because I want to know. And that, my friends, is the episode on vampires. Uh, I felt like this was kind of a deep dive, but I know that there is just so much more to this lore. And I don't, I don't know. I could go on forever, but I hope you enjoyed what I brought to you all today. And I look forward to getting to more Halloween classics coming up. But before we leave, there are a couple of things I want to talk about. Um, of course, the first being that I would like to remind everybody that September is Suicide Awareness Month. As always, if you or a loved one is struggling with thoughts of suicide, please dial 988 to speak with someone at the suicide hotline. 
988. It's so simple now. We also have links to the Suicide Hotline's website where you can get on a chat with them. Um, you deserve a happy life. And I had also mentioned in the last episode that the proceeds from the book that Anna and I wrote called Uncharted Waters, The Aftermath of a Child's Suicide, are um, to be donated. We don't make any money off of that book at all. We wouldn't want to. But all, so all of the money from that book was actually donated for Jillian's birthday between the book and private donations like outside or whatever um, Anna was able to donate $660 to Life Share who is the organization that worked with Anna's family when Jillian passed to be able to donate her organs um, she was able personally to save five lives with her donation and so it was an honor that the book donations and what everybody else donated was able to go back to an organization that was that great so yes that is absolutely amazing um if anybody would like to donate for suicide awareness specifically i do have a team in my local suicide awareness walk this october you can reach out to me at gabbpodcast at gmail.com or on any of our socials and i can give you more information the donation link and if you're in the area you can join the team and walk with us like i've said in the past i am in no way affiliated with them other than being a regular citizen participant so yeah that's the episode on that note listeners until next time stay spooky bye if you are wanting more halloween lore legends or spooky ghost stories in your life like the one you're listening to today then look no further hi everyone my name is kimmy and i'm here with my co-host ryan Hey guys, we're the hosts of the podcast Alluring, and we're currently hosting an Alluring Halloween. So we went ahead and collaborated with some of our favorite podcasts to create a special playlist with a collection of Halloween lore, legends, and ghost stories just for you. And throughout the month of October, we will be adding episodes to get you all in the spooky season mood. Think of it as your go-to Halloween podcast playlist. You can listen to it today by going to Spotify and searching an Alluring Halloween. That's A-L-O-R-E-I-N-G. Or simply go to our website, alluring.com, and we'll have a direct link there. So go check it out and enjoy the collection of spooky Halloween lore, legends, and ghost stories today. Thank you for listening to Ghosts in the Attic's Bodies in the Basement, a Fearscape Media podcast. Music by Stephen Temperley. Artwork by Laura Ramsey. Find us online at fearscapemedia.com forward slash G-A-B-B podcast. Or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at G-A-B-B podcast. Or email us, gabbpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you.